0: What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast presented by KFC. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarland. And Dwayne, we have made it through week four. You are back and out of the bunker. You, I presume, have showered. Mm-hmm. Your hair looks fierce. Um, we we have. Look, I know you always say more data is better than less data. Uh, how are you feeling now that you have combed through the data? Have you have you returned yourself to real life since then?
1: I have. I have. I, I you know, like like you said more is always good um but there's a lot going on this week i know we say this i like we open with this every week but like (laughs) i thought last week i was like wow look at all the takeaways for utilization then this week i'm like i'm like honestly trying to narrow it down i'm like okay like what am i cutting what am i not going to talk about like in this article um, and it's really tough, which that's always a good thing, right? Because you know sometimes we eventually get to weeks where it's like, okay, it's like I, I got like six things really that are popping here. Um, but early on, it's big, and I have some really sad news, um, Marcus. Okay. Andy Isabella is no longer uh, an Arizona Cardinal. The dream is dead. Oh no! Dream is dead. Oh no! For now, <laughs> with Arizona, with Arizona. You know? So
0: Greg Greg Dorch, I think, made him expendable. So. Who knows? Maybe Andy Isabella pops up somewhere else in our fantasy lives. Uh, that that pretty, sort of puts the cap on what was kind of an awful draft year for the Cardinals when they drafted oh. three wide receivers in Hakeem one year. Akeem Butler,
1: Andy yeah. Isabella,
0: and God, who was Keyshawn the other one? Keyshawn. Keyshawn yeah. Johnson. Not not the Keyshawn Johnson that we all know. You know, <laughs> that's now doing television. Different Keyshawn Johnson, and uh, none of them. Throw me none the damn <laughs>
1: ball, Keyshawn Johnson.
0: Yeah, yeah, not that one. Uh, a different one. They drafted three guys in the same year at wide receiver and uh, went 0 for three on that one. So I guess ironically,
1: the original Keyshawn probably played with a the guy they hoped Andy Isabella could have been maybe like Wayne Corbett yeah. was an awesome little slot receiver.
0: Yeah. Wayne Corbett was great. One of Hostra's finest. Absolutely. But the Andy Isabella, aside from having a dazzling 40 time uh, at the combine, really never materialized into much of anything. Um. We got plenty to talk about for the show today. We will go through the utilization report. We will have a heavy emphasis on running backs. Probably not a big surprise there. But also, we're going to check back in on the Seattle Seahawks because Chef Gino is cooking some things up up there in the Pacific Northwest. So uh, we'll sort of talk about that. We were kind of leaning toward getting in on that, that Seahawks offensive train. And so far, uh, it seems to be working out. So we'll uh, you know maybe maybe pat ourselves on the back a little bit and see what this means going forward. But uh, let's start with some more unfortunate news. Uh, Running back injuries have crept up into our lives again. Unfortunately, the biggest one, the most unfortunate one coming in Denver, where Javante Williams has suffered a major knee injury. He's going to be gone for the rest of the year. And Dwayne, this puts a crimp, obviously not just in our our fantasy situations, but certainly for a Broncos offense that's still kind of trying to find its way on paper, Melvin Gordon seems to be sort of the next man up, but he's struggling to hold on to the football. Mike Boone came in and saw a whole lot of opportunity on Sunday after the injury. When you sit and look at this offense now, what are your expectations now that we know Javante is gone for the rest of the year?
1: Well, I mean, I think you mentioned a big thing, like the offense is still struggling. It got a little bit better. We, we got a we we got a start out of Russell Wilson. You know, this past week. we <laughs> we We finally got inside the top twelve. Um, you know, and he's got some nice things going with Cortland Sutton. But yeah, the backfield. Yeah. First, like very unfortunate to your point, like for Javante, a young ascending player, wherever you may have stood on Javante team, Hey, Melvin's going to hold him back. Team Javante is going to take over. Like we always want what's best for these guys, for their health. And as much as we, you know, may be selfish and only think about things from a fantasy perspective, I like to think that we all still remember that they are people too. So prayers up definitely for Javante Williams. But thinking about what it's going to do for fantasy, um, it's really interesting, Marcus, because can you imagine this? Like, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or when the season started. We we were doing our first pod before the season started. Like, if you were to name, hey, what are the top five handcuffs probably across the entire league? Maybe they have some standalone value, maybe they don't. Like, you would instantly, like, Melvin Gordon would have been on your list, right? Right. Yeah, and now, all of a sudden, we're like, well, I don't know. Mike Boone, <laughs> you know? I mean, Mike Boone... God bless him. God bless Mike Boone. He never goes away. Maybe and Maybe maybe that'll be Andy Isabella's story. Like, if you can just follow, like, <laughs> Mike Boone, the persistence and the grit to hang around, hang around, get your chance, um, that's what Mike Boone has done. You know, he started, you know, he was with Minnesota before this, kind of, you know, was similar situation. You're like, well, crap, I got Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison in front of me. Not sure I'm ever going to see the ball. Then you come to Denver, you got Javante Williams, you got Melvin Gordon. But the thing with Boone that's really been interesting, and we talked about this I think a little bit last week, is that he's really been carving out a role in the passing game before this happened. Um, So if you went back to week two, we saw him take 40% of the two-minute offense, 11% of the long down and distance. So long down and distance, that is just what it sounds like it would probably be. Third, fourth down, seven-plus yards to go. Um, Two-minute offense, you're trying to play catch-up or you're at the end of a half, right? You're just trying to score some quick points. Defenses typically go into shell coverage, so that induces a lot of check-down passes um, from the quarterback. So the two-minute, um, you know, snap is actually the second most valuable snap in fantasy football and PPR formats. But beyond like getting a carry inside the five, obviously that if you can score a touchdown, that's the most valuable um, snap. But there's a lot of targets that come in this two-minute offense, and Mike Boone had already started to carve that out. So in week uh, three, they didn't use the two-minute offense, but he moved his long down and distance work from 11% went to 47%, and then last week, obviously with Javante going out, he handled 58% of long down and distance and 67% of the two-minute offense. Now. It's still a little fuzzy because Melvin Gordon, to your point, he fumbled away the job per se in that game. I don't think that's going to stick long term. So I don't know. Will Mike Boone get all the passing down work? Will Melvin get some of it? I would lean towards if I had to pick two roles, Melvin Gordon's going to handle the early down work. Mike Boone's going to handle the passing down work. They'll still mix in, you know, with one another a little bit here and there. Um, But I think the thing that makes Mike Boone so iffy for me is Melvin actually traditionally has been a good player in, in the passing game. And I think Javante may have forced their hand in that way, whereas Mike Boone's been coming in and doing some of that work. But I don't know if it's been because they think he's better or it was just a way to get the other two guys rest. So with Gordon, I still think like if I had to pick between the two guys, which one is the better receiving back, I would still go with Gordon's history. But based on what we've seen so far, I think we're going to see a committee. I still think that Melvin Gordon leads the way. I think he's a low-end RB2 moving forward. I think Mike Boone is like a low-end RB3. He'll get some passing down work. Probably not going to score many touchdowns. Probably
0: not going to get a lot of carries inside the five-yard line. I think to muddy the waters even further, the Broncos signed Latavius Murray off the Saints practice squad. and We saw Murray get some work last week in London against the Vikings. I'm still with you. I'm I'm of the mind that it's Melvin Gordon that takes the lead in this in this backfield. But my fear is that this just becomes a three headed mess where you've got Boone kind of getting some pass catching work. You've got Gordon kind of doing his thing, and every once in a while, Latavia shows up near the goal line and maybe takes a couple of cherries there. <laughs> and that's where you that, do it. <laughs> that's exactly what happened, and that is the absolute worst case scenario. But I think this for me is a week where you still sort of. Believe in Gordon as an RB2 or a flex, depending on your situation. See how things work out, and maybe we all petition Nathaniel Hackett to at least leave this as a two-man backfield so we can sort of figure some things out.
1: And he um, is yeah. the coach that would also do this. He is he the would. coach that would actually do this. I don't think Latavius is worth grabbing on the waivers. Um, I, I think he's more insurance to uh, Melvin Gordon. I think his role would potentially be play a real hindrance though to your point if he did get a role it's going to be that inside the five stuff where you're just going to be like oh my god are you kidding me <laughs> right. like, like melvin <laughs> just took you all the way down there and now latavius has to come <laughs> into the game at the two yard line so uh, but how are you approaching latavius like i've been advising folks like look unless you're in a really like deep format like as john hansen says on sirius xm a skank league you know where there's <laughs> nothing we play in these leagues we play in these leagues together oh, yeah. marcus we play in of some course. skank leagues there's nothing there's nothing in that like yeah i pick up latavius murray but a lot of people are listening to this podcast i really think the only move is boone um but you might have a different thought on that
0: no i think i think boone is, is sort of the move here right because obviously uh, melvin gordon Got drafted in pretty much every league, so he's not going to be available. I think this is a two-man backfield. I would stay away from Latavius Murray. You know, now I, I reserve the right to change my mind if I see something <laughs> different from them in the next week or so. But I just feel like grabbing Latavius is only asking for headaches. And and this is this does feel like one of those things where you know I have those friends who text me and they're like, hey, so I'm in a 20-team league. Uh, do I pick up Latavius? In that case, I'd say, well, yeah, probably. But <laughs> for I think the rest of us. I don't know that that's really a a big option for you. Um, In Atlanta, Cordero Patterson was dealing with a knee injury, and then we got the word on Monday that the team put him on injured reserve. So he's going to miss at least the next four games for Atlanta. So I guess, you know, I I know we're going to talk about Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley, what happens in that backfield, but this also feels like the time we ask the weekly question of, is this finally the week that Kyle Pitts breaks out? No Cordero Patterson one less guy maybe to take some targets is this finally the week that Arthur Smith decides to lean on Kyle Pitts
1: man probably not uh, <laughs> they weren't really using Cortrell Patterson um his role had morphed really that had had Cortrell Patterson not gotten hurt like i think he still would have been a topic on today's show he definitely would have been a topic of utilization because over the last two weeks they're not putting him out there in routes um you know he's really just been it's kind of funny how this stuff works Arthur Smith can turn Cordarrelle Patterson, you know, a former receiver, into a two-down banger, and he turns, you know, Kyle Pitts into someone that only gets to play sixty percent of the passing plays. So now we've got three data, three data points, you know, three out of four, where we've actually seen that Kyle Pitts is really not that involved. We've had two of them below seventy percent route participation. You know, he had the one in Week Two where it was ninety-one percent. We were like, yes, okay, fine. Week One was just a blip on the radar, and then since then, it's been like, no, no, no. Um, It's all been bad. Not really good for Kyle Pitts. He's still earning targets when he's out there. His targets per route run, all those sort of things are still really nice. So I think it's not that the talent profile has changed really, you know, with Pitts. Man, there's something going on. I don't know what it is. Kyle Pitts is not doing something that Arthur Smith wants him to do. He's missing assignments or they don't like what he's doing in meeting. I have no clue. I really don't know what it is. But I just have a feeling like that Arthur Smith doesn't like Kyle Pitts or he's trying to get his attention and say, look, man. If you want to be out here, because look, I, I ref, as much as we may get on to Arthur Smith, like he really does do some sharp things. Like he uses a lot of play action. He uses a lot of different kind of formations to help get a tell on, on the defense. He does some nice things schematically. Now he runs a slow offense. He runs a, a, a run heavy offense, which I can understand that too. When you've got, you know, you got quarterback questions. So I think he's plus EV probably in a lot of things he does from the way, you know, he schemes a game he seems to be minus ev though as far as figuring out how to get, get along with his players maybe and maximize what they do best which i think that's actually the most important thing being able to get your best players on the field like and let them go but th- i don't know what you if you have any insights on this or you know there's something going on in atlanta between Kyle Pitts and Arthur Smith
0: Right, it's the it's it's what I call the you know kick the coach's dog theory. Like, did you did you do something to make him upset? Did you did you insult his kids? Did you kick his dog? What happened? Why aren't we seeing more Kyle Pitts? Although I, I did have a thought, and again, we know nothing about what's happening in the locker room, on the practice field, in the meeting rooms with, with the Falcons right now. But I, I did start to wonder: is our faith in Kyle Pitts in his ability, which I think is still substantial? Is that outweighed by perhaps Arthur Smith's uncertainty about his quarterback? And you, you talked about the quarterback situation there, where this was a week where Marcus Mariota threw the football less than 10 times. I think they went a stretch where they went like 14 or 15 plays in a row just running the football. And certainly if you, you hear from Falcons fans, there is diminishing confidence in Mariota as a starting quarterback. I know the fantasy types were all clamoring for Desmond Ritter just because that's what we do when, when our guy's not getting the football. But I do wonder if for Arthur Smith, he's just so concerned about Mariota and his consistency or inconsistency that it really has impacted what they do throwing the football and in turn starting to take away from Pitts and at least at least for last week, take away from Drake London as well.
1: I don't yeah, know. I, yeah, and London, you know, he's fine. Like his target share was over forty percent again. They just didn't throw the ball a lot, right? It was a game environment thing for him. And actually, he saw his highest route participation of the season. It was up in the nineties. You know, we we had seen him in the eighties. So clearly, Arthur Smith is willing to let some players, you know, be out there more than others. I get. I guess I know where you're coming from. My only question is, how in the world do you make Marcus Ode, Mariota a better passer when he needs to throw without Kyle Pitts on the field? Like, it's just I don't see how that's possible especially given the fact that like most the average person, how many other receivers do you think they could name from Atlanta, from the Falcons? Oh, beyond zero. DeAndre
0: and Kyle Pitts? probably, yeah, probably not. I don't think
1: anyone, right? Like you've got Olamide Zacchaeus, nothing against Olamide, but, uh, Kaderil Hodge. These right. are some of the guys that were rolling out there. Parker Hesse. I believe that's how you say it. You know, it's so. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So it's like, uh, I I don't know, man. I struggle to figure out how you could ever be in a passing situation and not have Kyle Pitts out there. I guess maybe you're coming up to the line, and he's not a good blocker, and so you've got another guy in, and you check to a pass. Maybe you thought it was going to be a run, and in that case, Kyle Pitts is not on the field. That's the only thing I can come up with. Like, that's literally the only thing. And honestly, that's not probably going to be enough plays in a game to look up and see, oh, wow, Kyle Pitts is at 60%. That would be the kind of thing you'd be like, ah! at 85 he wasn't at 90 percent of the routes this week they must have checked to a pass on two run plays
0: like it shouldn't be something you know that's totally deflating his value it is certainly one of the great mysteries of the early part of the season I guess real quick too since we're talking about Cordell Patterson uh, he's going to be out as I mentioned for at least a month Tyler Algier was starting to get more work even before the injury Caleb Huntley working in there do you have a preference between one or the other guy there
1: um, I, I think if you've got to pick one, it's it's Tyler Algier. Um, it's a little tough, though, to get overly excited. One, his talent profile, like coming out of college, was pretty meh. You know, I mean, he did some nice things from a production standpoint, but, you know, not not an overly, not a, not a player that was, you know, above expectations when you, like, look at his, at his volume and his workload and what he was able to produce. And then we've kind of seen the same thing, really echoed. Now, it's on a limited sample, but early in the season, you know, he's forcing a missed tackle on 12% you know, the time he touches the football um, that's below the NFL average over the last three years of 17%. He's right around the league average and yards after contact. He's below the league average and explosive rush rate. Now, again, small sample sizes here. Like we're only four weeks in, and this guy's only been seeing about 30% of the snaps per week, but To your point, he had already started to increase his role. He had gone from 31% of the snaps in week two to 37% in week three, then 44% last week. So he is the guy that they spent at least, you know, a draft pick on. It wasn't a high draft pick. Um, but what I do like Marcus is he got 88% of the long down and distance work last week. So essentially he became the passing down option. They did not, as you might've guessed, you talked about their game script. They didn't use the two minute offense. So we have no clue. Like what he, I don't even know if the two minute offense is in, like, I don't even know if they have a package for that in Atlanta, you know? So you say two minute offense and people are like, did he mean times two, like a four minute (laughs) offense where we're just going to run every play? Yeah. They probably call it like two minute, like times two, like is this their four minute offense? But so I think that's positive. But Caleb Huntley, right, he was out there as well. He had 29% of the rushing attempts. That actually matched Algier, and he got the carries inside the five. So he got the big money touches. Um, then you got the short down and distance work, which often like is a bigger sample size than inside the five carries because you only get inside the five so many times a year, but short down and distance. So that is second, third, or fourth down with one to two yards to go. Um, he had 67% of that as well, and Algier didn't get any of that. So it's really got two data points lining up to say – Maybe he's the short down a distance kind of guy. But again, we don't know, man. This is such a small sample. They could come out and totally flip this next week to do something opposite. So I would lean to Algier. Um, I'm not going to get crazy with him, though. One, we don't know how long Cordero Patterson is out. Number two, this probably is getting up as a committee. You're also going to get Damian Williams eligible to come back in week six. So Damian Williams, if you remember week one, actually started the game over Cordero Patterson. And then he got hurt, got put on IR, And so when he comes back, that's a guy that was a really a good, he was a good passing down back, you know, when he was in Kansas City, you know, had that nice, you know, had a nice little run in the playoffs that one year when Kansas City went to the Super Bowl. So I think you're probably looking at a three-way committee once Damian Williams is back. But if I had to put a chip, I'll go with Tyler Algier. I'm probably only going 10, 15% max. Like if you're in a fab situation, actually, we're going to talk about some backs in a minute that I would much prefer to roster um, in waiver wire process over Tyler Algier.
0: Yeah, and I know uh, we sort of talked about this before the show, and I think there are some interesting names in there that, that we're going to get to a little bit later. I guess Algier, I'm with you, as sort of the guy there. You, you mentioned the way that it could be potentially a three-way split. Uh, that's also not taking into account that Marcus Mariota himself already has yeah. a couple of rushing touchdowns. He's likely to take off and run as well, which, uh, again lessens the opportunities for those other guys i mean they
1: run all the time so you can kind of live with that like like sometimes you'll see in baltimore like dobbins is still okay like even though you know you get you know lamar stealing work it's because they are so run heavy um but they've also had game scripts that have worked out really in their advantage but they're not a real explosive off like if tyler algier like if his talent profile was like really popping like coming out or even early in this year has shown something different like we would feel different about him then I would be like, okay, like let's put a chip on this guy. But whenever you have someone that's just kind of not running back, it is easier to come in, even though you may not be like hyper talented. And who knows, Algier could still prove us wrong, like in that. Like all we have to go off is the data that we have so far. Um, but if he if he was showing up in bigger ways, like we would be a lot more excited about it. So for me, it's like kind of like an offense that I'm not crazy about. They've shown a willingness to rotate players, and then the talent profile on top of that is kind of meh. Like that's usually a situation where I feel like if you put a lot of money, like in fab or put them at the top of your, your waiver, you know, wire, um, you know, priority, it's like, man, I don't know. Like I, I don't typically like doing that on this particular profile.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're two and two, they They've won back-to-back games. We're still not completely sold on what they're doing offensively down there in Atlanta.
2: This episode of fantasy life is brought to you by Kentucky fried chicken. That's finger licking good. Make the whole squad happy on game day with a 12-piece tenders meal from KFC. The KFC 12-piece tender meal features 12 extra crispy tenders, six fluffy biscuits, three sides of your choice, and, of course, dipping sauce. KFC's homestyle side options include new secret recipe fries, mac and cheese, coleslaw, mashed potatoes, and more. Order now on the KFC app or at KFC.com. All right, time to
0: pivot to the utilization report, which, of course, you can check out at FantasyLife.com. Dwayne always putting a ton of work into that each and every week. Always good stuff if you have a chance to sit down. I suggest you sit down and, like, give yourself some time, but at the very least, scroll through and get yourself sort of a top-level feeling for for what it is. But we got a bunch of guys here that, that you have found interesting that I think are interesting as well. So let's just kind of dive into them. Let's start with Derek Henry, who we talked about recently as look, we, we know who he is. We know what he's going to be. For me, the interesting part is how much he's factoring into the passing game there in Tennessee, which I guess sort of makes sense when you look at their pass catchers as a whole. But I feel like if Derrick Henry's catching the football at this rate and getting targeted at this rate, this really does take him back to another level. And if he stays healthy, puts him in the conversation for maybe being the RB1 overall.
1: Yeah, it certainly would. I mean, so he's, yeah, and we, we did talk about this last week. We mentioned the 24% target share. Well, he comes out and follows that up, you know, this week, and he pretty much matches that. He gets, well, actually, it was, last week was a 23%. He was 1% better in week four with a 24% target share. Um, and really, over the last two games, like, he's not, it's not like, you know, a situation where he's out there, you know, all the time on passing downs, but we are seeing that move up a little bit. Um, So when you look at Henry this last week, the really the thing that caught my eye the most, 44% of the two minute offense went to Derrick Henry. You don't ever see that. It always goes to Dontrell Hilliard. So now you factor that in with the fact that also over the last um, two games, three targets coming on screen plays. So they're designing things for Derrick Henry, because a lot of time on first and second down, if you throw the ball, um, you're really looking more downfield. You're not, you know, your your running back is going to be the third or fourth read, but if they want to dial some things up, and get him involved in the screen game. This is something that, you know, uh Sean Payton used to be really successful at with the Saints, you know. A lot of people think, "Oh, use the screen screen game on like 3rd and 8." Uh yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you can, but first down is like kind of a surprise way to use the screen game as well. And also, like get Derrick Henry out in space and not pound him in through the tackles and increase his chance for injury and you get him in these matchups against cornerbacks, um, defensive backs that really don't want any part of him. So, it does look to me like they are making a concerted effort to get Derrick Henry more involved in the passing game. I, I don't know that 23 and 24% is sustainable, but when you see him getting some of the two-minute offense work, designing more stuff for him in the screen game where he's the first read on those plays, he's not just a check down guy. I I mean, I think he could probably manage three to four targets you know, a week, maybe come away with three receptions per week. And if you add that on top of the fact that, you know, he's already getting, you know, in this last game, he had 84% of their rushing attempts. Like this year, like, so week two kind of throw out because it was a blowout. They just rested him, you know, but week one, 81%, week two, 74%, week three, or sorry, week four, 84%. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's getting all the carries. So if you can just get him involved in the passing game enough, you know, he's going to score the touchdowns. He had another touchdown call back last week because of a holding call, um, you know, on Traylon Burks. So and it was a great run. I don't know if you saw that play, but yeah. like you made a nice little move. You know, uh, got to the second level, broke a tackle there, and just walked. You know, Derrick Henry when he gets to the second level, it's it's a it, problem. It's You've got to right. stop him <laughs> at the first level.
0: Second level, Derrick Henry is off the freaking chain. Yeah, well, and it was I I did see that play, and it was it was a hold on Burks that was really unnecessary because Henry was was pretty much on his way to the end zone. He was freed at that and point. Then Tannehill sneaks it in the next play. Which look, as somebody who had to start Ryan Tannehill, like I enjoyed, Yeah, you're like, okay, I'll take it. That's fine, <laughs> but but I understand everybody who started Derrick Henry probably pulling their hair out at that one. Uh to your point though, about the the targets there. I mean, 12 targets so far this season, which I know doesn't necessarily blow people away, but when you figure his career high is 31. He's more than a third of the way to his career high in targets just after the first four games of the season. It sort of makes you wonder, and I get it, it's, it's kind of a, a newish regime there. They've only been there a couple of years, but it does make you wonder why the Titans didn't figure this out a little bit earlier just to, to get the ball in his hands, sort of let him work in space, but we'll take it. We'll take it whenever and however. I
1: feel, and it might be necessity because now you don't have A.J. Brown. Right. It's a maybe. low volume passing attack. So there's really not a lot to spread around. Like, you know, it's very similar to the Falcons offense that we just talked about. Right. Mike Vrabel, Arthur Smith, they could they, you know, cut from cut from the same cloth. That's where Arthur Smith came from. Um, so I, I think maybe that was the deal in the past. But now because it's really like Robert Woods, a little bit older coming off the injury, I think maybe it's out of necessity. I, I do think we're going to see it stick around. Like, I don't know if the 25 percent stuff's going to be sustainable. But I feel good enough to say that I, I would think that Derrick Henry breaks his, his record for receptions in a season. Um, and that's without just tacking on the extra game, right? I think he would do that in 16 games this year. Um, and he's a solid mid-range RB1 right now. And to your point, I think you nailed it. If all of a sudden, he, if he catches 50
0: balls, he has a really good chance to be the RB1 overall, assuming he stays healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so looking forward to it. I'm I'm happy with this change. That was sort of the one thing. If we had a knock on Derrick Henry, the one that thing it. we had is that he didn't catch the football. Now he's catching the football. So I guess everybody can just shut up. Um, <laughs> next up, you got a couple guys. Let's get to the, the guys in Seattle. We'll talk about the Seahawks' offense as a whole a little bit later, but let's let's focus on the backfield because first, let's let's dive into Rashad Penny, who. We had questions. He he was great at the end of last season. We were like, can he keep that going? So far, he has. Health has always sort of been an issue for him, but he's staying healthy. But right now, Dwayne, I mean, it's, it is the Rashad Penny show for the most part in that backfield in Seattle. I know that Pete Carroll likes to establish the run, uh, but he's pretty much been a one back guy for the most part. I mean, Rashad Penny, 60 plus percent of the snaps getting used very heavily. Uh, do you feel like this is sustainable for him?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're still going to always have Kenneth Walker lurking because they spent draft capital on him. And I think the number one way that you open the door um, to to Kenneth Walker seeing more work would be injury to Rashad Penny, which he's battled with in the past. I think the other two, the other number two thing would be what we just saw with Melvin Gordon, right? Fumbles some sort of performance thing where a defensive minded head coach like Pete Carroll might bench someone for something like that. Right. (laughs) Like that's the kind of thing that could happen. So um those are the two outs, but otherwise, yeah, he's clearly the guy. I mean, his snap, 69%, 41% was kind of weird in week two, but week three, 69%, week four, 67%. So three out of four data points tell us that's that's pretty much an every on back in today's league. We get a few guys that get up there in that 80% range, Saquon, CMC, but they're like, the unicorns, right? Then you get a big glob of guys that are right under that. And Rashad Penny is in that. He's in that mix of the next five to eight guys that are seeing almost 70% of the snaps. Um, and from a rush attempt standpoint, he's at 54% on the year. Um, he's got again, week two is kind of weighing that down. where he only had 43%. Um, but the big thing, man, is the route participation. I did not expect to see this and it's gone up in the last two games because we've got Travis Homer now out but it didn't necessarily go to DJ Dallas. The really interesting thing here was Rashad Penny. The week that Travis Homer got hurt, we saw his long down and distance snaps bump up to 38%. He took 20% of the two-minute offense. This past week, that number surged to 56% of the long down and distance work. They did not use the two-minute offense Um, this last weekend. So I don't know if that would have been the case. They didn't really need to. They were leading the whole way, you know, um, against the lions, even though that game was a shootout, um, Seattle was pretty much ahead by a decent margin for a lot of the game. The lions kept kind of getting it close and then Seattle would redistance themselves away. So yeah, man, like, um, well, and we'll talk about the changes in Seattle, but just like summary running more plays and you're getting (laughs) seven, 65, 70% of the work. And oh yeah, your offense is scoring points. Mm -hmm. Like we just didn't know if Seattle's offense would be any good. And that really all goes back to Geno. Like we have to give Geno the credit and, and the, and the credit to, you know, get these receivers more involved, but every, everything you would want about Penny that we were worried about, oh man, it's going to be a committee with, with Walker hasn't been, oh man, they're only going to run 50 plays a game. Not the case over the last two weeks. Oh, wow. What if Geno Smith, they can't score 20 touchdowns on the season also has not been the case. So all of those barriers have been removed. Like talk about running pure. Like CEH is obviously running the most pure of all backs, but like from a utilization standpoint that is sustainable, it's Penny. I would rather have Rashad Penny right now on my roster a hundred times out of a hundred over CEH. Like his utilization is great. His talent profile is better. Like this guy was number one in yards uh, over expectation per carry last year in next gen, next gen stats, missed tackles, forced per attempt, all those things, uh, yards after contact, explosive rush rate, all way above the NFL average. The only thing is he's just been hurt. It's been hurt a lot. The talent profile is really good. And you saw that all show up in the form of 28.7 fantasy points in a
0: PPR league this last weekend, the number four finisher on the week. I mean, we've been waiting for the Rashad Penny breakout for a couple of years now. And you're you're right. Injury is sort of what held him back. And then look, Chris Carson, and it, it's unfortunate the way that Carson's career ended because yeah. of the injury, but he also was sort of doing just enough to hold Rashad Penny off for a while. But now uh, it appears that all the obstacles are gone, and as long as Penny stays healthy, stays on the field, he is showing why the Seahawks spent the draft capital on him coming out of San Diego State. We knew he had he could be explosive, uh, and now he's getting that opportunity to show it. But you did mention Kenneth Walker because a lot of folks liked him, understandably, when, when he was drafted, and we did think that maybe he'd see some more work. The first couple of weeks, really nothing to show for it, but it seems like they're starting to work him in more Uh, And this is another guy. Look, you talk about, you know, 67, 68% being basically an every down back nowadays in the NFL. But it looks like Walker's starting to carve out enough work that we're not starting him every week. But at least I saw this. I read this in the utilization report that you're talking about justifying holding on to him and seeing if he can carve out some standalone value now.
1: Yeah, I think there's a chance um, What you know, Homer and DJ Dallas are kind of a, that's been the other factor, right, is that Seattle always uses three backs. And so now we're starting to see this little bit of trend where over a few weeks, they've actually used Kenneth Walker. Surprise, surprise. In the passing down role. We talked about this last week. You can't always just assume because a back didn't catch the ball in college doesn't mean they can't do it. It could just mean that that's not what the offense wanted to do in college. And college is a different game, folks. Um, and, running, and running the ball is actually worth a lot more in college than what it is in the NFL. So a lot of times these running backs, when they get pounded into the dirt on the, in the running game, they go elsewhere in the passing game. But looking at you know Kenneth Walker, man, the big thing that sticks out to me is his targets per route run. Hasn't been out there a ton. But when he's been out there running a route, 41% of the time he's getting targeted. That's a really high target rate. So again, small sample. But I think that's an encouraging thing. So that's a route where he could pick up some more work, potentially, um, in the future, is on some of the passing downs. And then I think the other part, for, for me, is, again, back to everything we said about Rashad Penny. Now, all of a sudden, this is an offense we want a piece of. This is an offense where we've really changed our minds on what we think about it. And if Rashad Penny were to go down, like, where are you ranking Kenneth Walker in your rankings next week, Marcus?
0: I mean, he's, he's knocking on the top 12, certainly. Exactly.
1: High-end RB2, I think, would be if we want to be conservative. Mm-hmm. High-end RB two is where you would put him, assuming all the other things about the Seahawks offense didn't all of a sudden switch into reverse, right? You know, if we see the trends that we've seen here recently, we'd be super excited. So, like, if some people are looking at Tyler Algier, and and sometimes this will come down to your roster. I, for me, the way I play fantasy, the answer would always be Kenneth Walker. If if I have Kenneth Walker and Mike Boone and Tyler Algier all available, I'm going after Kenneth Walker on the waiver wire every time. Now, some people like to play it a little more conservative than me. I would agree that Tyler Algiers got a more clear path to earning some a role. Uh, Mike Boone, maybe. Mike Boone might be more in a similar situation to Kenneth Walker than what you think. I think Melvin Gordon's still a much better talent profile than Mike Boone. We're just all stuck on the fact that Melvin Gordon had a fumble, right? You, you know what I mean? As long as he doesn't keep fumbling, Melvin Gordon is going to own that role. And so when I look at Kenneth Walker, I'm looking at the upside. If something does happen to Rashad Penny, and we talked about the extensive injury history, There's so much more. Like, Think if Kenneth Walker was available this week on the waiver wire after Rashad. That's what I like to ask people. All things equal. Rashad Penny got hurt this week. Corderell Patterson got hurt this week. Javante Williams got hurt this week. Who's the number one pickup? It's Kenneth Walker in a landslide. People would be dumping 75 and 80% of their fab dollars on him because we know the talent is there. It's a high second round pick. If you guys watch this guy run split zone in college, one of the best split zone runners I've ever seen. Like man sets up that front side and the his his cut to the back side like he's he's got amazing lateral agility like he's a really good player like he just happens to play behind another really good player in Rashad Penny it, it, and those are the things you have to ask yourself what could potentially win me my league Walker could win you your league if Rashad Penny goes down I don't think we're gonna get that out of out of Algier and Mike Boone but I don't know what are your thoughts Marcus
0: Well I I think when you you look at the three of them right I think what what out with the Kenneth Walker and Mike Boone have sort of in their favor. Boone, I think, is, is a value simply because with Williams gone for the rest of the year, you know kind of what his role, at least you have an idea of what his role is going to be. We know that he's going to hang around for the rest of the season. I think with Kenneth Walker, he's, he's put himself in a position that he's going to be a thing in the Seattle offense for the rest of the year. And he's in this position where, as you mentioned, if something happens to Penny, then his workload potentially increases. I think for Algier... He is he's more of a short term band-aid, I think. right yeah. now. He looks like he's getting a bigger opportunity because Patterson's going to be gone for the next four weeks, at least. We'll see how long it's going to be. But once Patterson comes back, Algiers sort of takes a step back, you know, and and we'll see what happens with Caleb Huntley and how that works. But for Algier, where he is now seems like a temporary state of affairs. Whereas for Walker, there's the potential for an expansion of his role. Mike Boone, I think, is going to be in a pretty expanded role for the remainder of the season. So I think those are the, the two guys with more upside. Algier very much feels like, you know, if we're prisoner of the moment and you have Cordero mm-hmm. Patterson or something yeah. like that, or you're just really struggling to grab somebody, Algier seems like a nice option. But if you're you're playing more of a long game, And I think Walker and Boone are kind of the guys that you want to keep an eye on.
1: Um, Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think that that's kind of, that's that's the way my brain thinks about it as well. I I always typically, if it's a tiebreaker though, I just lean to the more talented player. And I think that's clearly Walker in this case.
0: Well, and also I think, you know, right now we talk about the Seahawks offense. I think I'd rather have a piece of the Seahawks offense than (laughs) the the Falcons offense. Things (laughs) can change, (laughs) man, so fast. In in the blink of an eye, man. And this is what makes fantasy
1: so fun. Like, if we just, right. if we, you know, as much as we like to get things right and we want to win our leagues, like the fun part of it is like at the end of the day, on a lot of these things, we don't know anything like these things change and they're fluid. And plus, I just like seeing this. I just like watching the
0: Seahawks actually like to play offense. Like, they're you know, I've, I've missed this about this. Yeah, Seahawks. they're fun. They've been kind of miserable the last year or two, but they're they're kind of fun again. um You did mention CEH a little bit earlier. I feel like that's a good way to sort of get into Isaiah Pacheco because he did see <laughs> a lot of opportunity. Uh, against the the Buccaneers on Sunday night. Now, I don't know if some of that was just the situation where the Chiefs took a lead in that, and they felt pretty comfortable, I think, for for most of that game. But the more we watch Kansas City, it is really kind of morphing into a three-man backfield. We know CEH is going to get some work. Uh, Jarek McKinnon is still going to be there, although I feel like of the three, he has been the least efficient of that group, but he's still kind of hanging around there but watching Pacheco and I know people love them in the preseason he's got some juice and it seems like at least in the short term he may be leapfrogging McKinnon for that number 2 spot when you look at him how do you how do you make sense of this backfield especially when when Clyde Edwards-Helaire continues to be such a uh, an enigma right now
1: yeah, I think the way you started it it was actually you nailed it. Um, so if you look at the two games where really the chiefs have jumped out to a lead, they did this um, in week one as well against Arizona. Like they just totally like boathoused like they, they just like a boat race, just mm-hmm. gone, you know, kind of the same thing, <laughs> you know with Tampa Bay. Uh, and in those two games, we've seen the biggest role for Pacheco. So I, what I believe Pacheco's role is, is he is the guy that's there to help take on extra carries, lighten the load for Clyde Edwards-Alaire in game scripts where they're going to need to run the ball more. So in that first game you know, against um, Arizona, 46% of the team rushing attempts went to Isaiah Pacheco. Jarrett McKinnon's role really took more of a backseat. And then in the next two games where they were closer games— It was Jarek McKinnon that was out there more because his role didn't change this last week either. They just weren't in these situations much. He still handled almost all the long down and distance and all the two-minute offense. When they did use it, it was still Jarek McKinnon. So I don't think his role has changed. I think the game script, to your point, is what changed. And this is how this is problematic for CEH because if you get in a game where you're winning, you're going to share with Checo. You get in a game where you're losing, you're going to share more with McKinnon. Now, he's the base back, right? He's the base back. But what a lot of people are, you know, and I don't want to make this an Edwards-Alaire rant, like, look, he keeps scoring these touchdowns. Like, I, you know my process now. Like, we've been working together long enough. I'm still going to follow it. Yeah. I don't let these anomalies, like, get to me. Like, I'm fine. Like, and what I tell people, I was like, look, CH is RB4 overall right now. He's on your team, and if you're enjoying it and you're liking it, don't, you don't have to move him. You don't sure. have to. I'm just telling you he's probably not going to finish his RB4. Is there a chance he could? Yes. And could he end up maybe take over more work? Yeah. Look, we've just talked about teams that are doing things. We never thought they would do that. We didn't think we would see in 2022 and we're only four weeks in. So there's a lot of things that could happen that could open up avenues for Clyde Edwards Alaire, but I do think it's going to take a change because they're winning. They're winning football games. I think it would take an injury to Jarrett McKinnon to really open things up for him with Pacheco. I'm with you. Like when I watch Pacheco, There's more burst than Edwards Alaire. He runs, he's a more rugged runner than Edwards Alaire. He's going to break more tackles. He's not going to get caught from behind. I think Edwards Alaire has better vision. I think Edwards Alaire is better, like, if you put him in a phone booth and you got to just kind of slip through a crack and make one guy, that's where Edwards Alaire like, probably doesn't get enough credit, um, but he just doesn't have the long speed. And so I think that's going to be, you know, the challenge. I don't think CEH's role is going to change, but I think Pacheco is still a nice stash and a deeper format because if something does happen to CEH, I think McKinnon gets a little bit more work, but I think Pacheco might end up just taking over Clyde Edwards-Alaire's role, Um, and he's also, I think, maybe slightly better on passing downs, um, just from what we've started to see, so I think there's a lot of upside with Isaiah Pacheco, so I liked your call to get him on the show sheet today.
0: Yeah, so uh, another guy you added on the show sheet that I wanted to get to was Devin Singletary, who I've been a fan of Devin Singletary uh, for for the first couple years. I kept saying that it felt like he needed three forms of ID to get into the end zone. And even now, he's not a huge touchdown scorer in that offense. That is but, great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it seems like the Bills are more willing to commit to him as their RB1. I mean, you know, Zach Moss is still sort of hanging around. James Cook is kind of getting some opportunities there. But what I thought was going to be more of a confusing three-headed backfield, there seems to be some clarity here. And I'm, I'm of the mind now that we can feel a little more comfortable at least using Singletary as a flex. I mean, when you look at the numbers, how are you feeling about him?
1: Man, so it's interesting, right? You say, hey, we could use Singletary as a flex. I th- His utilization right now is like to the moon. 80. So the last two games, snaps, 74%, 87%. Route participation, 53%, jumped to 79% last week. Targets, 18% and 16%. He gets 86% of the short down and distance work both weeks. Long down a distance, so passing downs, 85%, 88%. Two-minute offense, 100% of that this last week, 56% the week before. So it doesn't get better than that. Like, he's getting everything. Now, rushing attempts, like, he's always going to come in around 55 60%, but part of that is because Josh Allen's going to take 20 to 25% every week. So if you just isolated the carries down to the backfield, right, just the running backs, He's still getting all those too. He's like getting 75, 80% of the rushing attempts for the running back group. Josh Allen, you know, is taking some of those, you know, as the quarterback. So, and we're playing in an offense that we know is really good. And guess what? People don't realize this happened last year. We saw this with Devin Singletary. And I remember seeing this utilization last year. I think Adam Levitan even jumped on it too. He's like, yeah, like this utilization, you know, he saw it and is like, man. Like, this guy should be an RB1. He should be performing like an RB1. Why is he not yet? And eventually, if you remember last year at the end of the season, like, it broke through. He All was, of a sudden, yeah. Devin Singletary down the stretch. Like, he was an RB1. And now we're seeing the same thing. James Cook, not a factor. Zach Moss, really not a factor. Those guys are both getting a little bit of work, but it, like, combines together to, like, 20%. So when we say there's a three-way backfield, it's not your normal. Like, when like a, a running back by committee you don't want to see, right, is, is 40% you know, 30%, you know, and another 30% or, you know, a 50, 30, 20. But this is not like that. This is an 80, 10, 10. Yes. The other two guys are getting snaps, but it is not a committee. Devin Singletary is in the lead. He's in a big offense. And even you saying just then like, Hey, I think we could put him in our flex. You can buy low on this guy right now. People do not realize like what's happening and you can go get him now. Long-term this year. Could we see a James Cook get, you know, more and more involved in the offense it's possible but it's not like Kenneth Walker this is not like another guy we'll talk about in Rashad you know White in a minute like that I mean if we look at James Cook like you could have a milk carton out like he's missing like he, he's not he's not earning anything so I think right now you got to think that Singletary you know you got to feel pretty good that this is his role the rest of the way and of all the guys we've named today he's the one that you can most easily go buy right now and get him from someone else. Cause they're probably valuing him as a flex play or an RB three. His utilization says he's an RB one.
0: And I think that's where sometimes we get stuck sort of on the narrative or at least on the, the last thing we believe. Right. Yeah, where, for sure. I do it. That's why yeah. I started
1: doing utilization. It was because I <laughs> found myself doing that. I was like,
0: how do I stop myself from this? Right. Yeah. exactly so i mean we we have all we've all kind of gotten ourselves to the point of hey man devlin singletary i like him i think he's a good player the bills just don't use him the way we like so we got to sort of downgrade him but you know when when you kind of take a deeper look at it um everything is shaping up to be great and here's the here's the part he's getting that sort of utilization in an offense that we love right that we want as many pieces exactly as we can get so you're right listen I to his finishes that,
1: real quick Marcus. like yeah. when he's had 70 percent plus snaps rb29 rb20 rb14 rb7 rb10 rb5 rb4 rb23 um and then whatever we had this last week you know for singletary uh rb20 mm-hmm. like so i mean you're talking about a guy that's either an rb1 or an
0: rb2 every time he's had this and yeah. so
1: yeah no it's and a great offense to your want. point it
0: is great offense it's it's everything we want and so maybe maybe you're right maybe this is the time to sort of try to strike while the iron's hot before the, before the reality catches up to the narrative. Uh, maybe it's, Hey, we're on a roll
1: last week. We said DK Metcalf, if you could do anything, go buy DK Metcalf. If I could give you any piece of advice this week, it is go buy Devin Singletary. There it is.
0: Go buy Devin Singletary right now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to set up trade offers as soon as I am too. I'm firing out trade offers as soon as we're done here. Uh, Rashad white, you mentioned. So on Sunday morning, before the game started, Cameron Wolf, uh, NFL Network reporter talked about uh, the Bucks saying they wanted to get some other running backs some opportunities, try to work some guys in, give Leonard Fournette a break. And I sort of said to myself, eh, I'll believe it when I see it. I saw it on Sunday night. I saw a lot of Rashad White getting chances in there and Leonard Fournette, you know, like I, there were I know a couple of spots, at least one spot where he missed in pass protection and then we saw a lot of Rashad White after that. Um yeah. Again, sort of like what we talked about with Kansas City, was this a function of the Bucks trying to play catch up and getting somebody else in there? Or is this the start of something new down there in Tampa?
1: Interestingly, um, no. Most of the two minute offense all still went to Leonard Fournette. Um, he saw the majority of that work, like over 70% of it. Um, so it wasn't just a catch up thing. This is, they wanted to get him involved. And I love when we get like these bits of information. This goes back to the Seattle stuff. We talked about Pete Carroll, right? We said, hey, Pete Carroll says he wants to come out here and he wants to run up-tempo offense. And I think our exact quote was, yeah, like, zebras don't change their stripes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll believe it when we see it. Same thing, like what you said about Rashad White with Leonard Fournette. But then you hear that, and then the coaching staff follows through. When you get those two data points and they come together and you don't get that that often, to be honest, I always, like, sit at attention when that happens. Mm -hmm. And so I am... Rashad White definitely has my attention. Rashad White should be your number one waiver wire priority this week. Absolutely, hands down, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's over Kenneth Walker. It's over Tyler Algier Algier by a mile. um, It's over Mike Boone. It's over anything that you could get. Now, assuming you're not, guys, some of you are playing an eight, you know, 18 leagues and you're only starting 10 players. Okay. Like, so if playing, that's the right. case, it's you don't have to worry to about Rashad matter. White. Right. Yeah. This does not apply to you. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't send me, you know, a DM showing me, you know, how you drop Stefan Diggs to get Rashad White. <laughs> like, that's not what we're saying, but we're saying, you know, if you're in a league where, you know, it's a little deeper and Rashad White's he's available in a lot of these leagues, like he's available in like, I want to say 70% of Yahoo leagues. Um. So like, he's a guy that you can go get. He is a absolute high priority. He could already have standalone value. 41% of the snaps, 43% of the rushing attempts, 37% of the targets, uh, or sorry, uh, 10% of the targets, 37% route participation targets per route run was elite 28%, right? So if you take your routes and you multiply it by targets per route run, that's how you get your targets. Right. It's there's two ways you can get targets. You can do target share or you can do the math that way. And so I like to look at it that way for guys that are in smaller roles, because then you can start to expound like, OK, what if they had a bigger role? And you have to bring it down. some. it's not like you can stay at a 28 percent. But like this is a guy that could be a 15, 20 percent target share guy if something happens to Leonard Fournette. And let me put it this way. What if Tony Pollard was dropped? accidentally by someone in your league and your league has a rule. Well, we don't let them pick them back up. And Tony Pollard was available available on waivers tonight. Now look, Tony Pollard has not really been impressive, but he's going to be rostered right in every league. It's the same profile. Tony Pollard has the same profile. I just gave you for Rashad white and he's rostered across the nation. Right. And I think you could make an argument that Rashad white, like he's going to play in the better offense by the time the season's over. We like the Cowboys. But the Bucks, I would expect to be a better offense by the time we're playing for, you know, all the chips. Whenever we get to weeks, you know, 9, 10, 11, and 12, we're trying to make sure we're in the fantasy playoffs and then we want to keep performing. He gave you 15.6 PPR points last week uh, and looked really nice doing it. So Rashad White is an absolute, you got to go get him if you can, especially if you're hurting at your running back. And a lot of you are with the injuries
0: that we've seen. Yeah, and like we said about Devin Singletary, as you mentioned, a guy in a good offense and with with the wide receiver's, getting healthy and unsuspended in Tampa Bay. Uh, this offense, I think, is, is going to start <laughs> clicking again. I mean, look, even in what was considered a not-so-great night for them against Kansas City, they still put up 31 points as a team. Um, this offense is going to score lots of points. They're still the best team in the NFC South, so I think everything's going to be fine there. Last uh, I just can to get past me. the oh, three forms of identification. Yeah, it's like
1: Devin Singletary gets to the goal line. Uh, Devin, you got a driver's right. license? Okay. Yeah, you got a birth <laughs> certificate?
0: How about a utility
1: bill? Okay. Now we're going to let you in. Okay. Here you go.
0: Here you go. (laughs) It's like like trying to get a new social security card. You got to come up with all this ID. Like if I, if I had ID, I wouldn't need ID. That's all my, (laughs) uh, my last one for you, uh, is Romeo Dobbs officially the wide receiver one in green Bay now,
1: man. I, I, I think it's possible. Like if if we talked about him being the player, we would want to have our chip on before, but wow. 95% route participation each of the last two weeks. And the bigger thing is earning targets, you know, a 24% and a 26% target share. Um, Alan Lazard did have a better game this last week. He was right there with Dobbs, um, tied the team for targets in week four. But again, Alan Lazard is a guy that we've seen for five years and has not really shown to be able to consistently demand targets. Uh, you know, I'm gonna call him Dubs because I feel like you know if you have him on your team, it's a dub right now. Right, <laughs> it's nothing a dub if you've got Romeo Dubs on your team. So we're gonna call him Romeo Dubs. Um, but man, 50 percent of the end zone targets this last week. Um, you know, it's Aaron Rodgers likes him. Aaron Rodgers likes him, and this guy has just performed at every level. We've talked about it. Okay, we started hearing about him in minicamp, then that carried over into training camp. Then we get into preseason. And yeah, they wrestled a lot of their starters, but he played with the starting offense that was out there, and he led the team in targets per route run in the preseason. So, like, he's checked every box. Week three, comes out and gets his chance, checks the box. Week four, they let him do it again, and that's with Christian Watson back. So that was our concern. Let's be a little bit tentative in week four because what if we see more of a rotation between him and Christian Watson? And, man, this is after he made mistakes early in the game. Yeah. He had a drop in the game. He had a fumble in the game and they did not go away from him. So two weeks back-to-back now, 21.3 and 15.7 PPR points. That's good for finishing wide receiver 9 uh, and wide receiver 19. So, uh, yeah, or sorry, that would be wide receiver 20 if you had a Debo in because he's going to be below that. But, I mean, wide receiver 9 and wide receiver 20 in your first two starts, and you get to play with Aaron Rodgers, and they've got a pretty weak pecking order other than him and maybe Lazard. I, yeah, I think if you've got Romeo Dobbs, you've got, yeah, why don't I just say dubs? Like I'm, you know, say I'm gonna do <laughs> I am going to don't something. Do I do follow through on anything in my life. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. So I I'm in, I'm in, I've got him right now is that mid range wide receiver three, but you give me one more data point like this and I'll be done. I'll be like, okay, fine. You're in wide wide receiver two status and 12 team team. And well, 12 and team you,
0: you talk about you know, Lazard having the bigger day, but you, you look at sort of the, the hidden points or the hidden things that happen in the course of a game. Uh, Dobbs, dubs, whatever we're calling him, had that he he had a he had a Des Bryant moment, you know, in the end zone and what would have been the game winning yes. touchdown, right? He he had that Des Bryant type, did he catch it, did he not sort of moment. If he holds on to that and it ends up a touchdown, as much as we're excited about him now, we're even more excited about him coming into this week. So it's just one of those little things that doesn't st- doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but really does sort of change a little bit of the perception of, of what happens for a guy in any given week. Just something to keep in mind. Um, of course, that's just a portion of what you get with the utilization report. As I mentioned earlier, go check it out at FantasyLife.com. While you're there, subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't as well. It is absolutely free, which is the best price of all. And uh, every day in your inbox, you get a little note. It's it's fun. It's fun for me to open up my inbox, and I see that I have an email from Matthew Berry. It's cool. You should make that happen if you absolutely can. Uh, As we wrap things up today, we have been talking a lot about the Seahawks offense, which is a thing I did not think I would say coming into the start of the season. But here we are because, and you talked about this a week or so ago, they are actually playing faster. It is a thing Pete Carroll said they would do. We were skeptical, but it's been proven right. I I know since between weeks one and two and weeks three and four, they're averaging about 18 more plays per game. That's significant. And. Part of the benefit has been Geno Smith is now a viable starting fantasy quarterback for us. Uh, One, I mean, I don't think any of us saw this coming, but two, is this sustainable now?
1: Yeah, I think that it is. I mean, again, whenever we have a coaching staff come out and say they're going to do something and then they do it that I usually take notice of that, right? I I like to intertwine those two things together. Um, Historically, that is something that has proven to be pretty strong um, and it's hard, like, to go back because, like, can you track every quote every coach ever said, right? And then what happened afterwards? No, obviously, pretty hard <laughs> task to do. Um, but just I'm just a Twitter
0: account with that, by <laughs> the way. Like, we just do quotes and we follow up on them.
1: That's an actually a great idea. Like someone should definitely do that. If you guys are listening to this and that's your thing, so, like let's do it. Someone who is not tag me. Us should do that. Tag, tag, tag me, tag Marcus. I will be glad <laughs> to follow along. I've got the data. Like I can easily tag it in the data and then we could go back and look at it later and be like, Hey, how often did they actually do what they said they were going to do? So, um, you know, I'm sure it's not 100%, but the point being, when you hear them say it and then they do it, like, what does it look after that? That would actually be really interesting to know. Um, so I do think it is sustainable. Um, I do think that if you look at how this offense is built uh, and the fact the way the defense looks, the defense is a big part of this. They cannot stop anyone. And so, if you have confidence in Geno Smith, if you're now also in a scenario where you're looking at your team, you're like, wow, we've got you know, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, like mm, those guys are pretty good. Um, those are another two good reasons to keep throwing the football. So, I do think we're going to continue to see it. And I, I think all roads do lead back to Geno, though. Geno has shown the coaching staff that they can trust him, that he can actually take this on and he can do it. So I think that's the wild card. If for some reason, defenses start to get a feel for Gino and look, defenses are watching the last three to four weeks worth of film. And so there's going to be adjustments coming to Seattle. Um, So we'll see how Gino responds to those. And he's also going to have to play against some better defenses. Mm -hmm. As long as nothing caves in there, I do believe Marcus, that this is something that we're going to see sustain. And also look, it's not just running more plays. They're throwing the ball. Like, if you look at their averages versus 20, uh, you know, the last three years of NFL data, um, when they're trailing by four or more points, they're throwing the ball four percentage points above the league average. Uh, whenever they're within three points, uh, they're throwing the ball a little bit more than the league average. And then if you look at it, whenever they're leading, when they're leading, they're actually throwing the ball six percentage points above the NFL average over the last three years. So, in all game scripts, they're deciding to throw the ball um, and they're running the up tempo offense. And when you look at how the team is built, it just makes sense to me. Uh, when you account for the defense, that this is what they have probably formulated in their minds as being this is how we're going. This is our formula for 2022. I think sometimes we don't think about that enough, right? Like we want to get our mind ourselves in the mind of the coaches, but it's always hard to predict this. And, and so I think it's easier to confirm it like once it happens. But like if I'm this coaching staff and I'm looking at our defense and all the things we just talked about and Gino's now proven himself. I think it's easy to come to the conclusion like the best way for Seattle to win in 2022 is to play the way they are right now.
0: No, I, I completely agree. I will say this week is kind of a measuring stick for this. They do have the Saints defense so on the road in New Orleans, so we'll see how that shakes out. But also, you look ahead. Uh, they've got two games with the Cardinals between now and Week 9, which look very favorable <laughs> considering how, wow, bad, yeah. how bad Arizona has been. Uh, they have a potential track meet against the Chargers coming up in Week 7, so there are some real good opportunities. So I'll ask you this, though. I mean, let's look at this week. Say you know Geno Smith against the Saints – Against some other guys who've been sort of fringe so far this year. I mean, would you start Gino say over over Matt Ryan? Would you start him over oh, yeah. Matthew Stafford maybe this week, considering the way I, the Rams offense has looked?
1: I haven't looked at I I start, you know, I'm working on my rankings, you know, tonight. So I don't mm-hmm. I haven't even looked at the matchups for this week. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Gino would definitely go over Matt Ryan. Like he, mm-hmm. he's a high end he is a high end QB two for me. And so what okay. that typically means is like when the matchups are right, he's gonna move into that. QB one conversation, you know, and there's going to be certain quarterbacks that are normally at the bottom of the QB one tier and they've got bad matchups. They fall usually below them. So if you think about the players that are at the bottom of the QB one tier or the guys that are right next to Gino, like I would have him right next now to Derek Carr to Kirk cousins, I would have, you know, I'd have him in the mix with those guys. Also Stafford, you know, Stafford is not Stafford's kind of lost some trust here. I would expect him to still be in that group by the end of the year, but, but we'll see. Um, so I think he's right there in that mix. And then if you look at some of the quarterbacks that are really at the bottom of that, you got Russ Wilson, you know, they're at the low end of the QB one conversation. Brady's elevated himself back up. Now that he's got yeah. the weapons, he's more of that mid range QB one kind of guy now. So he's going to always be in the mix, you know, with all of those guys like Jared Goff's another guy that's kind of in that conversation now. Um, so I would, I would definitely consider Gino over certain guys. I would hands down, I would use him over Matt Ryan.
0: Yeah, no Stafford right now. Um, Look, they had had the rough game on Monday night against the 49ers. This week they got to deal with another tough pass rush in the Dallas Cowboys while also trying to figure out their offensive line woes. It's not been a great go for Matt Stafford so far this year. Um we'll see if they can turn it around. But Gino, Gino's looking looking pretty good. So uh, great conversation as always. You know, I always enjoy these shows. These are always fun. Um I will let you get some some family time in, time in before you go back in the bunker and do some rankings. Um, you know, in, enjoy the sunlight. I'm sure the weather's decent there in Dallas. So uh, enjoy your time before before you have to go back to diving in again, man. Yeah,
1: it's definitely the best time of year right now in Texas. Like we get about a three week window where mm-hmm. we're like, wow, this is like, this must be like California. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, it's really been nice. Like actually my wife, my wife and I, we went for a little walk earlier, you know, before we did this show. So yeah, man, it's, it's good. And uh, like, you know, I love doing these shows with you too,
0: man. So it's definitely mutual. I appreciate you. Cool, man. I appreciate it. We uh for those of you out listening, we're not done. Like this is at the end. You know, we're yeah, you know, we're we're saying our thank yous and stuff like this is the end <laughs> of the season. We're not, we got plenty to go. We still got another show coming up this week and all throughout the rest of the season, but we do want to thank you for listening, uh, as you guys always do out there. We appreciate all the support, all the downloads, all that kind of stuff. And if you haven't, uh, please subscribe because, uh, you know, we want you as a listener all the time, all season long, even in the off season, we're still doing this and we're making up stuff uh, to talk about as well. So there you go. Uh, that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast presented by KFC for Dwayne McFarlane. I am Marcus Grant. We appreciate you listening. Hang in there for later in the week.
2: We'll talk to you then. Special thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's finger licking good. Feed your whole team and make everyone happy With easy meals from KFC, you can't go wrong with a 12-piece tender meal when it's game day and everyone's hungry. Family style that fits your style. That's finger licking good. Order now on the KFC app or at KFC.com.